0: This morning's scripture reading will be from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. That can be found on page 852 in your pew Bibles. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way let your light shine before men let your light shine that it may be that it may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven Good morning It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We want to remind all those that are participating in the fireproofing sessions, they have been a great success. We appreciate everybody's participation in those. And the Monday and Tuesday evening sessions that are held here at the building those particular groups have decided to go ahead and meet this week. We originally announced that that the week of Thanksgiving would be skipped, but but those particular groups wanted to meet this week, and we're glad they do. But what that does is that promotes a little bit of... um, opportunity for babysitters. You guys have, have been so generous in, in volunteering to babysit, uh, but this particular week was not blocked out, uh, or it was blocked out. It, it, there were no uh, reservations made, if you will, for babysitters. So please, any of you that could babysit Monday or Tuesday evening from 6.30 to 8 here at the building we will need six each evening. So if 12 of you could do that, uh, there is a sign-up sheet And it is at our sign-up desk that is new this week. And it will be, as you exit the doors here, would be to my left. And it's a uh, little black kiosk, and we would like for you to look for that. And if you can do that from 630 day, Monday and or Tuesday, please be sure and sign that list. Also, if you haven't been making your list of 100 things that you're thankful for, you could uh, do that. If you've already been doing 10 a day, as we mentioned Previously you're well on your way. If you haven't done that, start making a list maybe today or tomorrow of twenty or twenty five things each day and by Thursday you'll have a hundred things that you're thankful for. As you make that list, be fervent in prayer about those things also and thank God for the many, many ways that He blesses us. We always want to be grateful people, but it's nice to have an emphasis on that even as a nation. Also we want to invite you to the Burka's home, David and Melissa Burka. This afternoon It's a come-and-go type reception from 1 to 3 o'clock. And the Willits are staying with them as they are visiting with us. And Brad will be speaking to combined Bible classes. And you are invited to drop in and say hello and get to know them better. We appreciate so much the work that they've done as a congregation. We have supported them for many, many years and so this would be a wonderful opportunity for you to drop in and get to know them better. The Get Connected class. Visitors are always invited to that class. It continues to meet. It'll meet again today. Uh, just after this service, if you're visiting with us and you'd like to be a part of that class, we'd like to tell you how to get connected. And so that'll be in room 303 upstairs. Uh, we'd love to have you in that class. Why well, have... So many religious people actually wearing the name of Jesus Christ done so many things of harm and injustice. It's a tough question if you're sitting across the living room from someone and you're hoping to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to tell them about the good things that Jesus has done in your life. You want to talk about the way Christianity is a blessing, not only to you and your family, but to society. But yet someone starts going back in history. And they start talking about some things that have been done in the name of Christianity that it surely doesn't sound like a blessing. It doesn't sound righteous or just or good. And oftentimes we find ourselves at that moment feeling like we've just been asked tough question. What are we going to say as we're wanting to share the ancient words of Scripture that we love and we hold dear? Oftentimes at that moment we begin to deny it. Well, that might not be safe to do because many of those things have taken place. Oftentimes we'll grow angry. Well, maybe our calmness and peaceful uh, demeanor at that time could be very much a success in trying to convey the truth. Oftentimes, we become defensive. Maybe at that time, what we ought to do is just take the facts as they truly have taken place in history and take the teaching of God's Word and use that as a wonderful opportunity to proclaim the will of God. We've mentioned in the past week a book written by Christopher Hitchens. It has been a bestseller in recent years. It's entitled God is not great. How religion poisons everything. Is the way he describes what Christians and those who are religious does to our society. You see, maybe we could say that the idea of atheism and promoting the idea that there is no god has been taken to a slightly new level or at least coming at a different angle. And that is, in recent years, it's become very accepted and very active among atheists to not only say that there is no God, but to attack religion. And so if what we're talking about this morning, there might be some here that would say, you know, I've never been asked that or I've never even thought about that. I'm sad to be able to say to you that I believe that if any of us live another few years, and especially a decade or more, we're going to deal with this question on a regular basis. For example, I was listening to an interview this week of Richard Dawkins. Public radio was interviewing him. And he is an atheist that has written the book, The God Delusion. Why it's dumb to believe in God. He makes this statement. Belief that there is a God in some cases can be a very bad thing. He told in his interview that publishers and agents told him seven years before he wrote his book, which is a recent book, that there is no way that a book like his, at this time it was only an idea in his mind, but if he decided to write that book, it could never be accepted by a publisher in America because a book that attacked religion and attacked God would never sell successfully in America. And then with, you can tell, happiness in his voice, he says, but seven years later, things have changed in America. And now, he has no problem finding publishers that will publish his best-selling book. Friends, Lee Strobel's in his book, A Case for Faith, he quotes this atheist. And by the way, I'm not suggesting to you that there's merit in it simply because an atheist says it. We're just seeing how, if you want to say other people think, here's how this atheist would think. Christianity has, by certain people, been used throughout history as an excuse for some of the most brutal, heartless, and senseless atrocities known to man. The historical examples are not difficult to recall. The crusades, the inquisitions, the witch burnings, the holocaust. I did not see much in Christianity that I consider to be worth the having. How do you answer that? Instead of being angry and denying that anyone should ever feel like that, Let's think about the facts for a few moments this morning. Is it a fact that people that call themselves believer in the Almighty God and even followers of the Almighty God would do such horrible things? Is that a fact? We don't have to wait until the timeline of Christianity is beginning to see this. If you have your Bible, drop back to Genesis the thirty fourth chapter. If you want to take a Bible from the the one in the pew there in front of you, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And if you want to open up there, page thirty uh, to uh, chapter thirty four, it's on about page thirty three or thirty four in your pew Bible. I'd like for you to think about the story of Jacob's sons and daughters, and there was one son, uh, there was one daughter that was. Her mother was Leah. And we see there in the 34th chapter that Dinah was this daughter. And if you back up just a few verses before that, at the end of the 33rd chapter, you see beginning at 18 that Jacob is traveling along. He's going back to Canaan, and he decides to settle in a city of Shechem. And as he goes there in 19, he buys a parcel of land. Now, what I'd like to do is just quickly tell you and let you scan a few things to see this whole chapter. The bottom line is that the prince of this land saw Dinah and thought that she was so beautiful and the scripture says he took her and violated her. Now we do not know if that means he forced her in the sense of a type of rape or if the violation was that in the fact that God's children were not to marry or to have any sexual relationships with those who were of Canaan. So however it was, which it seems to be that maybe there was brute force here, but that's not really important to this story as we're studying it today uh, for the context that we're studying it. And so he goes back to his father and he tells his father how, how deeply moved he is and in love with this woman. And he sends his father over to Jacob and, and the plea is, let your daughter marry my son. Now, Jacob kind of plays the quiet card because his sons are out taking care of sheep. But whenever the sons come back, he tells his sons what has transpired. In their anger, especially two of them, which would have been full brothers and sisters of Dinah there, we see that Levi and Simeon, notice in 13, they spoke deceitfully to give an answer. What do you think they're going to use to get back at these individuals? Let's see what they say in 14. They said to them, we cannot do this thing. In other words, we can't give our sister to be married to you, to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you if you will become as we are if every male of you is circumcised. This father and son go back to the city gate and they call all of the men of the city to the gate. And they tell them, if we consent to this, we can take their daughters in marriage and we can give our daughters in marriage. And you see all the abundance of livestock and all that they have. And he says, we have room for them. They'll become with us, one with us, and we'll have all of their people, and we'll have their blessings. And so all of the males consented that day to be circumcised. Three days later, when their soreness would have been at its height, we read down in verse 25 that Simeon and Levi went in boldly into the city, and they killed all of the males. They killed in 26 Hamor and Shechem, They took Dinah, and then in 27, they plundered the city. They took all of the wealth in 29, and also their little ones and their wives. Jacob, when he learned of this, he said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land. Do you realize what these individuals did? They took their religion. They took one of the things that God asked them to do. And they literally used it in a deceitful way to go in and to vindicate their anger. They literally destroyed a city except for the children and the wives. Can you imagine the rumors that spread about about their God? Can you imagine the horrible things that were said about their God and the way their God used their religion to brutally slay their people? Now, it's interesting how many will debate from that chapter whether or not that was an act of vengeance or if it were an act of God. And friends, people that debate that have just not read far enough in the book of Genesis. Flip over to Genesis 49 and notice as the blessings or curses were being handed out from Jacob's deathbed, which would have been a very common practice in their day and time, where the children would be called before the dying father and he would pass on blessings to them. Notice what he says to Simeon and Levi in the 49th chapter and verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers... Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Notice what Jacob says here. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and for their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Even their own father wanted punishment to come upon them because of what they did and the way in which they did it. Friends, when we look throughout history, we see men and women that claim to be very religious doing very cruel things in the name of their religion when we think about the crusades that took place in the medieval times, we think about men that were sent out by the Pope It was in the name of religion that to the rest of the world represented Jesus Christ. I'm not suggesting to you that that we are of the same faith that they are. I'm simply suggesting to you that we need to look at this. When someone asks us the question, their understanding of that day and time, and even now as people look back in history, their understanding is that it was believers in Jesus Christ that did this. We need to understand that. That is their understanding. Well, what did believers in Jesus Christ do at that time? Well, they were sent out by the Pope. They were blessed by the Pope for their acts. Well, let's read one eyewitness record. It's recorded in a book entitled Church History in the Plain Language by Bruce Shelley. This is an account of what took place in the Crusades as the Muslims were to be destroyed by the Christians so that they could claim back their, quote, holy Land of Jerusalem. Some of our men cut off the heads of their enemies, others shot them with arrows so that they fell from the towers, others tortured them longer by casting them into the flames. It was necessary to pick one's way over the bodies of men and horses, but these were small matters compared to what happened at the Temple of Solomon, where men rode in blood up to their knees and bridle reins. Indeed, It was a just and splendid judgment of God that this place should be filled with the blood of unbelievers since it had suffered so long from blasphemies. Friends, crusade after crusade after crusade took place during that segment of our human history where bloodshed after bloodshed after bloodshed in the name of Christianity... The Inquisition shortly followed this. As a matter of fact, there was probably a small time of of overlaps. Some say it began in 1163. Some say that it might have began in the early 1200s. But again, it was where the Pope declared that anyone that had heretic beliefs was to be punished brutally. And so we read about waves of this. A second wave took place in 1472 by the Spanish Inquisition. A third wave took place in 1542. See how it's covering centuries? For 300 years we see this taking place in human history. And, And the third wave was to hunt down Protestants that especially targeting, that had a Calvinistic view. Some inquisitors excelled at their job. Robert Lee Borge, he sent 183 people to a stake in a single week because he believed what they believed was doctrinally wrong. Conrad of Marburg burned every single suspect who came before him even the ones that had the audacity to claim they were innocent. Menard Fui convicted 930 people, confiscating all of their property for himself. And of course, inquisitors like him became very rich with little or no oversight it became obvious that their works that they carried out in the name of Christianity was murder and greed. The Salem Witch Trials. Now We can't target this one only on religion because there was a township involved in it and and colonies involved in it. But anyone that would study it in depth would realize that religion played a part of the Salem witch trials. And so we have Puritans that would esteem Scripture, but yet at the same time would hold these trials that were so unfair, holding over 150 prisoners, and five of them would die uh, while they were in prison, and 19 of them would be hung, and some of them were such young, young people. And we look at things like this and and we could continue to come even up until more recent history where we see things that are done that it would be easy for you and I to just kind of put up a barrier of defense that says, but that's not us. You don't understand, that's not us. Friends, we do need to understand that what we're talking about this morning, religious people have always had to deal with, with this topic. Let me show you what I mean by that. If you will, go with me in your Bible to Matthew, the 7th chapter. In Matthew, the 7th chapter... Do you remember Jesus' words? It's the great sermon on the mount. And so here's Jesus preaching a sermon. Would Jesus even just touch a little bit on this? Yes, he'll touch on it here. And then we're going to go to another passage. And then in a minute, we're going to go to the third passage. and We see that not only does he touch on it, he very greatly describes it. But let's see where he just touches on it here. Matthew the seventh chapter 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many were saying to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. So here's individuals that the Lord says, hey, they've never been right with me. But how do they view themselves? They view themselves as very religious. They view themselves as teachers of Jesus Christ fighting, casting out demons, individuals that do many wonderful works. But how did Jesus view them? Jesus said, I never knew you. You're people who practice lawlessness. So friends, what I need to realize first and foremost as we discuss this tough question this morning, what about people that are religious, that, that do things even in the name of Jesus Christ that's simply bad? What do we say about it? First, we can say, you know what? You bring up a good point. That's exactly what Jesus had to deal with, also. Even in Jesus' day, He was addressing the topic of those who would cry out of faithfulness in religion, but do many lawless things. But a second thing that we need to make sure we understand, and that if others have a desire to study God's Word, we can help them understand. Look with me if we go to Romans, the third chapter. Romans the third chapter, we have at the beginning of the chapter, Paul having, if you will, a one-sided discussion with the Jews. It's almost as if he's saying, okay, I know the questions you would ask, so now I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to help find, I want to help you find the answers to the questions that you would ask. It's kind of going that way throughout the first part of the book of Romans, and especially Romans the third chapter, we see three questions laid out there. You'll see in verse one and two. Oh, one question laid out. I want you to look down to verse 3 and 4 and notice this question. For what if some did not believe? What if some of the Jews did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Now think on that for a moment. If a person does not believe in God, does it change the faithfulness of God? Now let's ask this question. What if the person that does not believe, in other words, an active faith, a faithful faith, if I need to say that under the context of this sermon. So someone has an an active faith, but it's not faithful. And they go out and they do a lot of things that's bad. But they do it under the name of their faith does that change the faithfulness of God? Now what if instead of one person doing that, what if an entire town does it? Does that change the faithfulness of God? What if an entire religion does it? Does that change the faithfulness of God? What if a nation does it? Friends, it may sound simple, but I need to do something with that thought in my mind. Will God ever move based off of a minority or a majority belief. Now, many of us probably would or have sometime in our life where we knew something to stand for and we stood for it, but then person after person kept trying to get us to change our thoughts, to change our ways, and finally we felt like we were the only one, and finally we caved in. Notice the next verse. It's so powerful. Look at verse 4. Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. You see what Paul's saying there? He says, if you want to say one man does something wrong, is that going to affect God? No. What if every person does wrong? That does not change the nature of God. So someone says, I have a hard time with a God whose followers I can look back through human history and I can see some ruthless deeds that His followers have done. And that's where we have to say, as we've already said, point number one, Jesus had to deal with that same topic also. There are going to be those who claim to be followers, but the truth is they're lawless. But number two, you have to realize that what someone does or doesn't do does not change the nature of God. God is just as true. He is love. He is merciful. He is gracious. And it doesn't matter if those who claim to be His followers practice those attributes or if they don't practice those attributes. God is still all of those things. Now, let's look at a third thing quickly. If you will, look with me to Matthew the 23rd chapter. Matthew the 23rd chapter, if we had time to study the woes here in Matthew 23, this is where Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. And keep in mind as we go over a few of these things, and all we can do is just scan a few things out of this chapter. Pharisees were considered the most religious people of their day. They were considered men and women who knew the law better than anybody else in their day. Now notice the things that Jesus has to deal with them about. And, and I know it's one thing for us to study it as a biblical fact, but I want you to imagine, what if, what if this was our neighbor? What if this was one of your good friends? And, and here's, here's one of your friends that claims to be very, very religious. I, I know the law, and maybe they really did know the law almost better than anybody But what kind of people were they? When you drop down and look at verse 13, they were people that Jesus said they were hypocrites for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men and you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those to enter in. Here were men and and women that thought they had a a one-way ticket straight into the kingdom of heaven and the Lord's saying, look, the type of life you live, you're not entering the kingdom and you've literally shut the door. Other people aren't going to enter the kingdom of heaven because of your example. Notice what they were doing in fourteen. In the middle of fourteen, for you devour widows' houses. Oh, that's a nice house you have there. Where, where where did a nice religious uh, family like you get the money for such a nice house? Oh man, we had to take advantage of four different widows to get a house like this. I hate to say they're living homeless right now, but we really have a nice house. Can you imagine? We say, we say that's unthinkable. No, that's exactly what was happening here. And then we go down to 15, and could Jesus say it any more plainer? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Oh yeah, you finally get some people to believe the way you believe, and when you do, you've made them double wicked. You have ruined their life because they believe the way you believe. Skipping several of the woes and going down to verse 29, we see that he brings up the fact that they literally have forefathers that murdered the prophets. And then he says, let me tell you what you're going to do in 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Oh, you people that are so religious, you're actually the ones that you're going to take the life of Jesus Christ. When someone asks you that, what about people in the name of religion that do horrific things? They're describing the crucifixion. Religious people crucifying the only innocent man who has ever lived. And so the text that was so capably read this morning, I take your eyes as we move this sermon toward the end of the 16th verse of Matthew, the 5th chapter. You'll see at the top of the screen there, we simply have the verse, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Isn't it wonderful that you and I have the power of influence that we can help people see God? When we go out and we live the attributes of God, when we live love and truth and patience and endurance and long-suffering and kindness, when we live gracious and merciful with others, when we live from a benevolent spirit and from a serving spirit, we literally help people see God. How many times have we seen someone because of the way God's people have treated them in such a lovely way, they say, I want to learn more about God. But you realize the opposite is true? And so when someone is telling us or asking us that question, they may literally have a pure motive. Not always, but many times they may have a pure motive. Where they have seen people that call themselves Christians that have hurt them. They've hurt their family. They have seen, as they flip through the pages of history, individuals that call themselves followers of Jesus that have done horrific deeds. And the reality is, just as true as this verse is from the positive sense, the opposite of this verse is true too. You see, if you want to fill in the blanks there, let your, what? Are you going to shine righteousness or wickedness? Let it shine before men that they may see your good works or evil works. Will they say generosity or stinginess? Will they say prejudice or love? Will they say vengeance or forgiveness? You and I, every day, we show people something and someone. And notice the opposite of glorify, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, the opposite is mock. We can show them the wicked deeds and they will mock. Our Father, which is in heaven. People that have followed the deeds of Jesus Christ have done many wonderful things throughout human history. When we look at the literacy and literature, it arrived in Europe, in Africa, in South America, and other parts of the world as missionaries arrived. Today in Bible class and tonight we'll hear Brad Willits and Him being able to go into a huge Susu tribe that had no written language and take the time to write them a language, that good work is going to live on and be a part of their history. Why? Because of the influence of Jesus Christ. When we look at all the laws that bless our society, those laws, a part of our judicial system that's a blessing to our society, they all go back to the scriptures, to the teachings of Jesus Christ. When we consider things like hospitals, orphanages, adoption agencies, nursing homes, retirement homes, schools, colleges, do you realize that almost all of those in their origin go back to individuals that wanted to live the way Jesus lived and that is serving others. Hospitals first began at a time when the Greeks and the Romans did not believe that the weak deserved to be served. It was people that believed in Jesus, a Jesus that came to heal the sick, that actually began hospitals. And when we look at even the names of our hospitals in this area, you probably know them well, but let me just mention a few of the hospitals in our area. Vanderbilt Hospital, first 40 years of that university's existence, its association was with the Methodist Episcopal Church, the Baptist Hospital. St. Thomas Hospital, Tennessee Christian Medical Center. When we look at the Ivy League schools, the eight Ivy League schools all had their beginnings with the teaching of God's Word. Now what's interesting with the schools and with the hospitals is once it became financially beneficial for businessmen to get involved. The emphasis away of serving was taken away. Let me give you just an example. There's nothing financially profitable about taking care of orphans. So who in our society, even to this day, continues taking care of orphans? It's mostly the churches. You see, if that became financially profitable, corporations would start doing it. Friends, there's a powerful lesson for us to learn in all of this. That is, there's been a lot of good done by people that wanted to follow God. And this morning, I want you to think about What is it that we ought to be doing right here in Mount Juliet that nobody's going to do it unless it's followers of Jesus Christ? Who is it that's hurting? Who is it that needs to be served? And what is it that we can do? This week, you and I have the opportunity. We have the opportunity to go out and to help people glorify God but we also have the opportunity to go out and to cause people to mock God. The choice is ours. What have you done with your life? But more importantly, what will you do with your life? That's what the Lord wants to know this morning. Let's wholly commit to Him. If you've never been baptized into Christ, why not today? If you have and lost the way, why not come back today? But let's leave here speaking and showing a good word for Jesus Christ. If we can help you in any way comes as we stand as we sing.